Texas A&M versus Alabama. Now, a lot of SEC analysts and a lot of SEC fanboys have been hyping up this matchup ever since the SEC schedule was released. And a big reason why is because supposedly this is supposed to be a really good Texas A&M team. This is supposed to be one of the best teams that Texas A&M has put on the field in a very long time. So, you know, before the season started, I was excited about this matchup. Now, I wasn't as excited as everybody else was, like the SEC lovers out there. But, I mean, I was pretty excited about this game because I wanted to see just how good Texas A&M is. Because Texas A&M, they hired Jimbo Fisher a couple of years back. He's been building up this program, a couple of good recruiting classes. So, you know, Texas A&M, I was eager to see what they would do this season. So, here I am going to watch them play Vanderbilt. Now, I was watching them play Vanderbilt, I believe it was like the second half because I was watching Miami give FSU the beat. So I said, I might as well go ahead and watch Texas A&M play versus Vanderbilt. And to my surprise, they were struggling to beat Vanderbilt. And they barely inched them out. And I mean, I was like, wow. So this is a team that a lot of SEC media and a lot of SEC analysts and a lot of SEC fanboys have been hyping up all this offseason. But yet I, I see them, to my surprise, struggling to close out Vanderbilt. And I understand that it was the first game of the season, haven't played football in a while, no spring camp, all of that good stuff. I understand that. I understand every time a team plays week one, they're going to have some miscues, they're going to have... You know, some communication problems, things and that, sloppy football, turnovers, not really being all that great on third down. That's understandable. Even though Texas a was playing against Vanderbilt, which pretty much has been the worst team in the SEC since I can remember. And I understand that. Okay. But then again, I don't understand it because I see Alabama steamrolling Missouri, who also is pretty much one of the worst teams in the SEC, 38-19. And they seem like they had no issues to you know, destroying Missouri. So, I mean, Texas A&M struggled against Vanderbilt, and Alabama basically steamrolled Missouri. So, when you look at how college football has went so far this season, normally teams that are supposed to be good, that struggle week one, normally end up, you know, still struggling the first couple of games in the season. So, I mean, I'm looking at Texas A&M going into this game against Alabama. This is a team that's supposed to have a lot of talent, and I have a lot of concerns about how this game may go. So I hopefully Texas A&M is able to clean up the mistakes and the mishaps that they had against Vanderbilt. And they come out and they come in this game and show me of why everybody that is a SEC fan has been so high on Texas A&M going into the season. Because you're looking at an Alabama team that, as of right now, is clicking on all cylinders. I mean... Matt Jones was like the real deal, even though I told a lot of people before the season started, like I believe in Matt Jones, but a lot of people or a couple of Alabama fans out there believe that Bryce Young could start over Matt Jones. So I'm I'm really happy to see Matt Jones making the most out of the opportunity, given he was 8, 10, 24, 249 pass yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he was throwing dots, although it was on Missouri, who looked very impressive. Meanwhile, you got Kellamon. Kellamon didn't really look all that great to me. He was 17 to 28 passing with one touchdown. The guy who looked the most impressive to me that I'm excited about watching this game is halfback Isaiah Spiller. I mean, this guy only had the ball 18 times, had 117 rushing yards. That means this man rushed for 14.6 yards per attempt every time he got the football. 
Andy Smith wasn't too bad. Neither. He had 10 carries for 51 yards and was averaging 5.1 yards per attempt. He also had one rushing touchdown there as well. So, I mean, I'm really excited about watching this group of Texas A&M halfbacks. But, I mean, when you face Alabama, it doesn't matter if it's week one, midseason, or the end of the season. Listen, Texas A&M had all the time to get their stuff together last week versus Vanderbilt. Now that you're playing Alabama this week, there is no margin of error. Okay, like you're looking at an Alabama team right now that's fully healthy. At least we think they're fully healthy as of right now. The defense looks really good. A big reason why Alabama's defense wasn't great last year was because they had a lot of injuries. So they're fully healthy. So I want to see how good this Alabama defense is going to be. And I want to see just how good Texas A&M is going to be in general. And I mean, if Texas A&M wants to win this game, I think they need to run the football. I think running the football gives them the best chance to win this game against Alabama. Because, look, I know Kellen Mond is a pretty solid quarterback. He pretty much is one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC, which I don't really know if that's saying too much because the SEC quarterback play hasn't really been all that great. And there isn't really a lot of known commodities at the quarterback position in the SEC this season so far. But, I mean, Kellen Mond's supposed to be one of the best in this conference. So, the thing about Kellen Mond is that he doesn't really have a lot of consistency. Sometimes during games, he can get really hot. And sometimes during games, he can get really cold. So, I mean, if Texas a wants to beat Alabama, it's all going to come down to, at the end of the day, how well Kellen Mond performs in this game. Is he going to be the guy to get it done? Because, look, when you look at teams that beat Alabama, not just every team just walks up in here. doesn't matter how good of a team you have and just beats Alabama. The teams that beat Alabama have the most success against Alabama are the teams that have good quarterback play. So, at the end of the day, Kellen Mond is going to have to beat a man. doesn't matter how well it takes A&M is going to be running the football. Kellen Mond has to step up. So, I mean, this is supposed to be one of the most talented teams in the SEC, one of the best teams that Texas A&M has put on the field in a very long time. So, I mean, I want to see that. Now, you look at Alabama, aside from Matt Jones, I mean, Najee Harris was like the guy who's going to carry the workload of this Alabama offense. And, I mean, Najee Harris, I mean, this dude had three touchdowns and only had 17 carries for 98 rushing yards. So, I mean, Alabama's offense is just so dominant. It's just pick your poison. I mean... You can either try to stop the passing attack of Matt Jones with Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, or you can try to stop the run. It's pretty much pick your poison. So I want to see what the game plan is going to be, in particular for Texas A&M on the defense side of football. How are you going to stop this Alabama offense? Now, a good thing is that you don't have to deal with a dual-threat quarterback. Now, Matt Jones does have the mobility he does have the athleticism to pick up a couple of yards, but nothing that's really going to gash you. He doesn't have the Tua Tavaloa kind of athleticism. Matt Jones is more of your typical drop back pocket passer. Now, in my opinion, I think he is a better version of A.J. McCarron. And A.J. McCarron was really good, but I think he is a little bit better than what A.J. McCarron was. And A.J. McCarron was a really good quarterback. But Matt Jones has a little bit more athleticism, and I think he just has a little bit more of a stronger arm than what A.J. McCarron had. So, I mean, when I look at Matt Jones and you look at Texas A&M, you don't have to worry about a guy who's going to make you pay off his legs, okay? So, if you're Texas A&M, you need to make sure that you're able to get pressure on Matt Jones. Make him uncomfortable in the pocket, okay? So, another thing is that you pretty much want to try to neutralize the big plays from this Alabama passing attack because... They have one of the best wide receiving cores, if not the best wide receiving core in the nation. 
So I don't really know if they're going to completely shut down a guy like Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith. So the best thing they can do is try to keep everything in front of them. Try to limit Alabama's big plays. Because Alabama last year and even last week against Missouri, they had a lot of big plays in the passing game. And the teams that are not able to really stop those big plays in the passing game are normally the teams that end up losing. Because in this day and age, college football, with all these spread and air raid offenses, you have to be able to limit the big plays, keep everything in front of you. And for Texas A&M, another thing that they have to do is they have to be able to get turnovers. If you're able to get turnovers and you're able to get the ball back to your offense and you're able to capitalize that, that's another key to victory when it comes to beating Alabama. The teams that have had success beating Alabama in the past have been the teams that were able to generate turnovers. A good example of that last year was Auburn. Nobody expected Auburn to beat Alabama. But the reason why was because they had two turnovers that ended up being two pick sixes, and that's a large reason why Auburn won this game. And for Alabama, I think the biggest key they need to do is not turn the football over, and also, make sure that you're able to stop that rushing attack for Texas A&M. Because, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't all that thrilled with what I saw from Kellermond in that Texas A&M passing game last week against Vanderbilt. And this is early on in the season. So, I mean, Texas A&M has a lot of issues and a lot of red flags going into week two of this SEC season that I'm really concerned about, which is why I'm taking Alabama to win this game. And I think Alabama wins this game pretty convincingly. I think Alabama wins this game 35-20 to 20 is my final score prediction in this game. And I know a lot of Texas A&M fans are going to be unhappy about that, but I'm going to be honest, you struggled against Vanderbilt. And I understand, like I said earlier, everybody's going to say, oh, JT was week one. Everybody struggled week one. I wouldn't say everybody. A couple of teams struggled week one, but I didn't see Alabama struggle against Missouri. The game was pretty much over by halftime. So, I mean, Texas A&M right now is just way too early for me to have faith in them going on the road to pull off the upset like a team that I would have confidence in pulling off the upset is a team that has to have a great show in week one, okay? Teams that normally have struggled week one so far this college football season haven't really failed all that well this season. So, I mean, I got to take Alabama to win this game. 35 to 20 is going to be my final score prediction in this game. I just can't trust Texas A&M. Too many red flags. And I don't think they're going to be able to get all those issues that they had in Vanderbilt taken care of this week. So give me Alabama in this one. Now, a game that I'm really excited for is Auburn versus Georgia. Now, when you look at Auburn last week, they defeated Kentucky 29 to 13. And my takeaway from that game, what I was really impressed was with the performance of Bo Nix. Now, Bo Nix last year, if you were subscribed to my channel, you wouldn't know that I was heavily critical of Bo Nix. I didn't really see all the hype around Bo Nix, okay? I'll be honest with you. I didn't think Bo Nix was all that impressive to me. He didn't really blow me away last year. Now, this season and the first game that I watched when they played Kentucky last week, I was impressed. Bo Nix still has some room for improvement. Well, a lot of room for improvement at that because it is week one. Still was a little bit rusty. But, I mean, he looked pretty good. I'm going to have to give it to him. He looked really good. I mean, he threw for 223 passing yards, three touchdowns, and also rushed for 34 rushing yards on the ground. And he threw some absolute beautiful balls, especially to wide receiver Seth Williams, who is a monster in his own right. Six receptions for 112 receiving yards, two touchdowns. I think that Seth Williams may be the most underrated wide receiver in the SEC. 
Because when we talk about some of the best wide receivers in the SEC, we talk about Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith, but I never hear anybody mention Seth Williams. And then another thing I was really impressed with Auburn was um, their halfbacks. Now, I know their halfbacks didn't really have the most impressive game from a stat standpoint, but, I mean, when they got the ball in their hands, I mean, I really like what I saw. So, I mean, you got Sean Shivers, you got DJ Williams. So, although the stat sheet may not look all that impressive based on last week of what they did against Kentucky, I really like this group of halfbacks that Auburn has this season. And also, this offense... They were utilizing the quick passing game. They were getting the ball a lot quick. They were giving Bo Nix easy throws. And Bo Nix is at his best, in my opinion, is when he's in the pocket and has time to throw. I actually think that Bo Nix plays his worst football when he's running outside the pocket, trying to keep plays alive, or trying to throw the ball, running outside the pocket and things like that. I think he is better when he's throwing inside the pocket. Because he just makes too many mistakes when he's outside of the pocket. So, I mean, I think he's a little bit better throwing the ball in the pocket versus being outside of the pocket. And when you look at Georgia, Georgia's offense was a mess in the first half of that Arkansas game. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was looking at Georgia. I was like, I listen, I knew Georgia was going to have a little bit of a quarterback controversy. I wasn't expecting a great quarterback play. Like, I knew Georgia's quarterback situation was going to be rocky heading into that Arkansas game, which is a good thing that they had to play Arkansas week one and not a top-ranked team or somebody like that. So, I mean, um, DeJuan Mantis got the start at quarterback for Georgia. He didn't really look like he was all that ready to play. And I think DeJuan Mathis, what is he? I think he was like a four-star recruit or something like that. And, I mean, he just didn't look all that great. So then they put in Stetson Bennett, and he comes in and he weathers the storm at quarterback for Georgia. He was 20-29, 211 pass yards. He also threw for two touchdowns, had no interceptions. So the biggest thing that you need to watch for Georgia is going to be if Stetson Bennett, how good does he perform in this game? Because the thing that I always and really intrigued in, in these quarterback controversies that before I want to, you know, lock in the quarterback situation and say, okay, I don't have to worry about quarterback anymore. I always want to see what they do the following week after. Because some quarterbacks, I've noticed this a lot in college football, when you have these quarterback debacles, is that, you know, they'll let a guy come in to replace a guy who they bench early on in the game. He performs well. He leads their team to a victory. And then next week he comes out, he struggles. So I want to see how good Stetson Bennett performs in this game for Georgia. Is he really going to be able to solidify the starting quarterback job for Georgia, or is it going to be some more controversy surrounding this quarterback situation that they have going on at Georgia? Because to be honest with you, I didn't know who these guys were at quarterback for Georgia. I was just as surprised as maybe a couple of your average Georgia fans out there who don't really keep up with the team like I do. So, I mean, I don't really follow Georgia football all that often and things like that. So, I mean, I'm just looking at these guys. I'm looking to see who is going to be the guy to step up. DeJuan Mathis didn't step up, so Stetson Bennett came in. So, I mean, Stetson Bennett looks like he's going to be the guy moving forward, going into this game for Auburn. I want to see how well he performs. And if he doesn't perform well, who's going to be the next guy who steps in line? I mean, hopefully I get to see a little bit of Carson Beck this season for Georgia because I thought this was the guy who was most likely going to end up starting for Georgia. So, I mean, for Auburn, I know I raved about Auburn a lot and how well they played against Kentucky, but they did have some mistakes there and some caution signs. And one of the caution signs to me 
is how poorly Auburn performed on third down offensively and defensively. Defensively, they allowed Kentucky to convert on third down 12 out of 20 of the third down attempts that they had. And then offensively, Auburn only converted on third down four out of 10 times. So, I mean, this isn't something that I'm going to be all that much concerned about because it is week one. Most of the time, teams have third down issues offensively and also on the defense side of the football. So, Auburn's still trying to figure things out. Georgia also wasn't all that great on third down. Neither last week, they were 6 of 20. But, I mean, that was week one jitters. Hopefully, these two teams are going to come into this game more prepared now that they were able to get the week one rust out of their system. And even then... This game is still going to be fairly close because at the end of the day, although Bo Nix did play well against Kentucky, I still don't trust them, okay? I'm not a guy who just builds trust easily just because a player performs or has a good game on week one. I got to see consistency. I need to see Bo Nix consistently play well for me to completely buy into him. So as of right now, Bo Nix still has a lot to prove, at least in my opinion. I know Auburn fans are like, dang, man, you're still hating on Bo Nix. I'm not hating on Bo Nix. I'm just saying I want to see what Bo Nix does against one of the best defenses in college football. So, I mean, when you look at Georgia, aside from the quarterback situation, this is a really good team. I mean, we finally were able to see Zamir White, 13 carries for 71 rushing yards, one touchdown, 5.5 yards per attempt. He probably could have had a better stat line if Georgia's offense didn't perform so poorly in the first half. I was really impressed with what I saw out of him. Also, James Cook was pretty good as well in a few attempts that he was able to get the ball. And also, George Pickens. George Pickens is my favorite college football player to watch. I just love watching George Pickens play. I think he's going to end up being one of the best wide receivers in the SEC at the end of this season, if he isn't already. And also you have Kiaris Jackson. He was pretty solid as well. He actually had a better game than George Pickens last week. He had six receptions for 62 receiving yards. So, I mean, this Georgia offense has a lot of talent. I know a lot of people, when you talk about Georgia, a lot of people like to say uh, they don't have any wide receivers. The only reason, the, the question with Georgia isn't that the fact that they don't have any wide receivers, the question is going to be who steps up at wide receiver for Georgia because Georgia recruits pretty well. So I'm not really concerned about the talent that they have at wide receiver. Like a lot of talent at wide receiver hasn't really been, you know, discovered yet to us that's watching because the quarterback play hasn't really been all that great. So, I mean, hopefully this game against Auburn, we get to see some more faces emerge at the wide receiver position for Georgia. So, I mean... This is a really tough game to predict because I think this game can go either way. I think this game is going to be fairly low scoring because it is still pretty early on in the college football season. And the team, both of these two teams are probably going to have their fair share of mistakes. But I got to take Auburn to win this game. The reason why I'm taking Auburn to win is because I simply don't really have all that much confidence in Georgia's offense. And when I say Georgia's offense, particularly it's the quarterback situation because look, they were able to have Stetson Bennett come in and weather the storm last week against Arkansas. But, I mean, I don't really know how well he's going to perform against Auburn this week. So, I mean, I still am a little bit iffy about Georgia's offense. I mean, it looked well in the second half of that Arkansas game. But, I mean, just because you played well against Arkansas, it's going to be a whole entirely different animal when you got to play against Auburn. So, I mean, I got to take Auburn to win this game. I think Auburn wins 20 to 
17 is my final score prediction in this game. And I mean, Georgia can win this game too, but I just don't really have a lot of confidence in Georgia's quarterback situation. Like, I know Stetson Bennett came in. He wasn't a storm against Arkansas. He played very well. But I mean, still, we don't know if Auburn's going to be able to come in here and just completely shut them down because Auburn is a way better team than Arkansas. So just because he played well against Arkansas doesn't mean he's going to play well against Auburn. Now, if he comes in and he proves me wrong, all power to him. But I still think Auburn's going to win this game. I think Auburn's defense, their defensive line, their defense should be able to handle up against Georgia's offense because I think that Georgia does have a new offensive coordinator, so they're still trying to implement a new system and things like that. And I think Auburn's doing the same thing as well. But it just looks like Auburn's a little bit more further along than what Georgia was last week against Arkansas. And I know they won pretty convincingly against Arkansas, um, they came alive in the second half offensively, but still, I don't really know or don't really have a lot of confidence in the quarterback play for Georgia going into this game. And even if Stetson Bennett doesn't play bad, I don't think he'll necessarily is going to play great. I think there are going to be a little bit of turnovers on Georgia's side because I still think they're going to be a little bit sloppy on offense. And I think those big turnovers are going to be what tilts this game into Auburn's favor. And that's why I got to take Auburn to win this game 20-17. to 17. Final score prediction, give me Auburn. The Indianapolis Colts are going to be traveling on the road to face the Chicago Bears. Now, last week, the Chicago Bears defeated the Atlanta Falcons 30-26, and the Colts got the win against the New York Jets 36-7. And for the Chicago Bears, they came back against the Atlanta Falcons, and they made a change at quarterback. They finally decided to bench Mitch Trubisky and put in Nick Foles. And Nick Foles played fairly well. He was 16-29 passing for 188 passing yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. And this Chicago Bears offense looked a lot better with Nick Foles in that quarterback because these wide receivers were finally able to have legitimate quarterback throw them the football. They didn't have to worry about a quarterback overthrowing them by like 20 inches or 20 miles. And not only did this help out the pass game, but it also helped out the running game as well. So this Chicago Bears offense looks really good with Nick Foles at the helm at quarterback. And for the Indianapolis Colts, the Colts offense has played a lot better compared to what they did week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And a big reason for that is because they are putting a big emphasis on running the football. As of right now, the Colts are 8th in the NFL and rushing attempts per game with 31. So the Colts, like I said a couple of weeks ago, for the Colts to win games, they have to run the football and only rely on Phillip Rivers to throw the football when he has to. Because when you allow Phillip Rivers to throw the ball more than 30 or 40 times, you're in for a disaster because Phillip Rivers, if you ask him to throw the ball over 30 times, he's most likely going to have at least two interceptions. So, I mean, you need to keep the ball out of Phillip Rivers' hands, only ask him to throw the football in certain passing situations, and try to run the football. And when you look at the Chicago Bears, this is a very favorable matchup for the Indianapolis Colts because this is a Bears defense that gave up 144 rushing yards to the Atlanta Falcons. And the Atlanta Falcons aren't really known for running the football. As a matter of fact, they may be one of the worst rushing football teams in the National Football League, not because they don't have the talent to have that, but simply for the fact that they just refuse to run the football because they are a pass-heavy team. So when you look at the Chicago Bears giving up 144 rushing yards to the Atlanta 
Atlanta Falcons. This should be a favorable matchup for this Indianapolis Colts offense going against the Chicago Bears defense, which the strength of this Bears defense is their ability to stop the pass, but they haven't really been all that great this season against the run. So my biggest concern is going to be, can the Colts score in the red zone because the Chicago Bears have the third best red zone defense in the NFL. They only allow teams to score touchdowns inside the red zone 41% of the time. And if the Chicago Bears are able to take away the run game, that votes well for this Chicago Bears team in general because the Indianapolis Colts, they don't want to rely on Phillip Rivers to throw the football. And if you're able to take away the run game, especially in the red zone, you're going to have the opportunity to get some turnovers because Phillip Rivers is a really aggressive quarterback. And inside the red zone, everything is condensed. Like the amount of plays that you can call gets chopped down because, you know, you're only playing like a small portion of the field. Also, it gets really harder to throw the football in the red zone because of the congested passing lanes. So and you look at Phillip Rivers, Phillip Rivers is a turnover machine if you allow him to be. So the end of the Colts, when they get inside the red zone, I want to see how much success they're going to have running the football. And if they aren't, is Phillip Rivers going to be able to take care of the football? Not just in the red zone, but in this game. Because if the Bears are able to key in on the run and they actually see the weakness of this Colts team, which is basically the only weakness that this Colts offense has, is the lack of depth at a wide receiver position. And the fact that they beat themselves. Week one against the Jaguars, the Colts lost that game because they beat themselves offensively by turning the football over. So if you're the Chicago Bears, you want to stop the run game of the Indianapolis Colts and force them to rely on Phillip Rivers to win the game, which Phillip Rivers is capable of winning games time to time, but he does turn the football over, which is why the Colts have put so much emphasis on running the football over the last couple of weeks ever since their week one debacle to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So if you're the Bears offensively, you started Nick Foles, and Nick Foles is an upgrade from Mitch Trubisky, but one thing that you don't get from Nick Foles that you got from Mitch Trubisky was the mobility. Now, if the pocket breaks down, you're not going to have a quarterback that's going to be able to pick up six or seven yards on the ground. Basically, the pocket breaks down, the play is pretty much dead with Nick Foles there at quarterback. And you got the Indianapolis Colts who, although they're, they have a pretty good defensive line, and they're able to get pressure on the quarterback. So, I mean... The big thing for the Colts is going to have to be being able to stop this Chicago Bears pass attack because this Chicago Bears pass attack is going to be a lot better than what it has been with Mitch Trubisky now out of the mix. This is going to make Allen Robinson an even better wide receiver than what he was already. This is going to, you know, help Anthony Miller emerge. So, I mean, this is going to help out their entire pass attack in general. It's also going to help out the run game as well because now we may actually see Dave Montgomery get a full good workload now. Now to the fact that the Chicago Bears just don't have to worry about being down too often the poor quarterback play from Mitch Trubisky having to throw the football to win games. So, I mean, Nick Foles offensively, the only downside is that you just don't get the athleticism when it comes to running the football that you would have gotten from Mitch Trubisky if he was still the starter. But overall, this is Chicago Bears offense that has really improved. And, I mean, with Nick Foles at quarterback, the pass attack is really good. And you're going against the Indianapolis Colts um, secondary that isn't great. And I know Colts fans are going to be like, man, our secondary is great, man. Did you see what we're getting against the New York Jets? I mean, okay, your, your secondary played great against the New York Jets. Do you want a cookie for that? The Jets' offense sucks. I mean, they have no receivers. The offensive line sucks. Sam Darnold isn't all that great. So, I mean, I don't really think that getting three interceptions on Sam Darnold is all that much of an accomplishment. I mean, 
if you want a cookie or you want a round of applause for that, I'll go ahead and give you that. But I mean, I would like to see your secondary replicate that performance against the New York Jets. So, I mean, I still don't know how I feel about the Indianapolis Colts secondary. I still don't trust it. And I think that is the matchup that the Chicago Bears could exploit in this game. And just like how the Chicago Bears have a matchup that they can exploit offensively when it comes to this Indianapolis Colts um, secondary on their defense, the Colts, um, they have a hole on their offense, which is the fact that this is basically a running football team. If you have to ask Phillip Rivers to throw the football 30 times, you may be in for a little bit of trouble there because Phillip Rivers does tend to turn the football over a good amount, which is why the Colts put so much emphasis on running the football. So if the Bears are able to stop the run, you like their chances. And if this Indianapolis Colts secondary is able to replicate the performance that they had last week against the New York Jets, then you most definitely like their chances as well. So the Colts are favored to win this game by two and a half points. I'm going to take the Bears to win this game. I think the Bears, I don't think the, I think this game could be close, but simply I don't think the Colts are going to be able to, you know, just stop this passing attack for the Chicago Bears, simply for the fact that I just don't trust the secondary. I know the secondary played well against the New York Jets, but aside from that, this secondary still hasn't showed me that they have what it takes to stop passing attacks in the NFL. I still think this Colts secondary has a lot of work and a lot of room for improvement, which is why I got to take the Bears to win this game. Not only that, but I just think that the Bears right now are just, in my opinion, a better team. That may sound crazy to a couple of you guys because a lot of people want to be like, oh, the Bears haven't played anybody. But look, I know they're three and know they haven't really played the strongest amount of competition. But I mean, you really can't use that as an excuse to say that they're not a good team because the Chicago Bears still have a pretty solid defense they're really good against the pass and i think that they're going to double down try to force the indianapolis Colts to throw the football to win the game and if they're able to do that that bodes well for them because you're going to have the opportunity to get turnovers which plays to the strength of the chicago bears defense which is their pass defense so i mean i gotta take the bears to win this game i just think the bears right now are a better team than the indianapolis colts and i think they win this game 27 to 21 is my final score prediction in this game I think that the Indianapolis Colts are not going to cover. I'm going to take the Chicago Bears to win, and that's my final prediction. Thursday night football. We have the Denver Broncos taking on the New York Jets. Now, both of these two teams are 0-3 going into this game, so we're hoping that if this game doesn't end in a tie, that one of these two teams will have their first win of the season. And for the Devil Broncos, man, the Devil Broncos had high expectations for the Broncos heading into this season, and they haven't really been able to live up to those expectations due to injuries. I mean, the Devil Broncos are completely depleted. I mean, Jerome Casey, he's done for the season. Drew Locke is going to be missing some time. It's like a lot of injuries that the Devil Broncos are dealing with. And then at the quarterback position, Brett Rippon is expected to be the starting quarterback going into this game. So for the Devil Broncos, man, I mean, gosh, man, I just feel really bad for Broncos fans because I felt the Broncos were going to be a playoff team this year, and they most likely aren't going to make it to the playoffs because of how just depleted this roster is by injuries. And you look at the New York Jets, on the other hand, I mean, this team is just bad. All around, the defense is bad, the offense is bad, everything for New York is just terrible. 
So, I mean, for the New York Jets, you're hoping that offensive tackle Makai Becton and wide receiver Jameson Crowder are able to play in this game. Both of these guys are listed as questionable. And for the Denver Broncos, Shelby Harris, Kareem Jackson, Devontae Harris, those guys are also listed as questionable going into this game as well. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing for the Denver Broncos is that you go back and you watch that Temple game. I mean, in that Temple Bay game, I mean, it wasn't pretty. It got ugly really fast, really quick. At halftime, the game was pretty much all but over. And then you put in Brett Rippon, who Brett Rippon showed some promise late in the fourth quarter. I know it's like a garbage time drive and things like that. Nobody's really going to care. But I do think at this point, Brett Rippon gives the Broncos the best chance to win. And also, Denver wants to win. I think that they're going to have to find more ways to get the ball to Noah Fant because Noah Fant pretty much is the best player that they have on their offense. Now, you also have rookie Jerry Judy as well and KJ Hamler. But, I mean, I think the the most consistent guy that they've had in the passing game throughout this point of the season has been Noah Fant. Also, you have to run the football because, look, Brett Rippon may be better than Jeff Driscoll, but, I mean, you have to be able to run the football. Like, you don't want your backup quarterbacks, regardless of who it is, throwing the football more than 25 times. Like, you need to run the football, only throw the football when need be. So, if you're Denver, you should be able to do that against the New York Jets defense that pretty much has allowed the opposing team's offense to do whatever they want to. So if you're Denver, offensively, you stand a good chance to be able to put up some points in this game against a lackluster New York Jets defense. Now, for the New York Jets, I mean, you just got smacked by the Indianapolis Colts last week, 36-7. to I mean, what can go wrong went wrong for the New York Jets last week. I mean, they couldn't get anything going on offense. Sam Darnold was a turnover machine. The defense was absolutely terrible. And, I mean, you can't even put all of the blame on the defense. Like, a big reason why the defense... Didn't really perform all that well last week against the Colts was because the offense can't turn the football over. So, I mean, for the New York Jets, man, you're on three right now. This is a must-win game for both of these two teams. But this is a game that I feel the New York Jets need to win more because a lot is on the line for the New York Jets. I mean, Adam Gase, he most definitely is on the hot seat. And, I mean, I told a lot of New York Jets fans that Adam Gates was probably the worst hiring I've ever seen in NFL history. Didn't really accomplish anything in Miami. Didn't get along with his stars in Miami. Only went to applause one time, and I've never seen him. He's supposed to be an offensive-minded coach, but during Miami, he never had an offense that ranked higher than top 15 in the NFL. And now we're starting to see all that come to fruition with the New York Jets. I mean, this team just is not good, and Adam Gates doesn't look like a good head coach. So, I mean... This New York Jets team, man, this is a reality check for the New York Jets. A lot of people are talking about the New York Jets tranking for Trevor Lawrence and getting rid of Sam Donald. But, I mean, what is Sam Donald going to do if he has one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL, his team can't run the football, not a good coach, and a bad offensive line, and a terrible defense? So, I mean, drafting, New York, drafting Trevor Lawrence if you're the New York Jets number one overall, if you plan on tanking, isn't going to solve anything. So, I mean, unless this offensive line gets figured out and these wide receivers are able to step up, then that's the only way I really see the New York Jets improving. So, I mean, for the New York Jets, man, this is pretty much the best chance you have 
of winning the game. This is pretty much one of the easiest games that you're probably going to play this season. And you can say the same thing for the Denver Broncos because both of these teams as of right now are not that good. The Denver Broncos aren't that good right now because of injuries. The New York Jets just aren't that good because they just suck. So for the New York Jets, man, you're going to be facing Brett Rippon, the quarterback who doesn't have all that much experience in the NFL. And if you're a New York Jets, you need to be able to get pressure on them. I think if you're a New York Jets, you need to blitz heavily because your secondary just isn't all that great. And other than Quentin Williams, nobody on the New York Jets defensive line has really been all that great. So, I mean, if you're struggling to get pressure on the quarterback just by, you know, your front four alone, I think that needs to tell you that you need to send more pressure. And I think the New York Jets, I mean, they need to find some more ways to get pressure on the quarterback because their secondary desperately needs it because their secondary is struggling right now. And for the offense, I mean, Sam Donald needs to play better. And I know it's hard for Sam Donald to play better because of the lack of talent that he has around him. But, I mean, he's also had a lot of errors just based on his decision-making alone. And he has to be able to step up. He has to be able to take care of the football. Because of regardless how bad of a team that the New York Jets may have, you still can't excuse the poor performance that we have seen out of Sam Donald so far this season. So, I mean, for the Jets, man, they need to be able to take care of the football I mean, you can't say that they need to get better at running the football because they have tried to run the football. They just really can't because the offensive line just isn't all that great. So, I mean, the New York Jets have tried to run the football, but, I mean, it just doesn't really, you know, work out because they're always down by multiple possessions. So, I mean, if you're the New York Jets, man, I really don't know what to tell you. But, I mean, this game is basically a coin flip because both of these two teams are pretty bad for their own respective reasons. The Denver Broncos are bad, not because they're a bad team, but simply for the fact that their team is just completely depleted by injuries. And for the New York Jets, your team just is a complete dumpster fire right now. So, I got to take, I'm taking the Broncos to win this game. I mean, I have more faith in the Broncos to be able to win this game than the New York Jets because at least the Devil Broncos showed some promises in their losses. Like, they looked really good against Pittsburgh in the second half of that game. Although, Drev Driscoll was the quarterback, they were able to score some points on a pretty good Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Against Temple Bay, I mean, they didn't look completely bad. I mean, they put up a little bit of a fight in the second half. But, I mean, I just think that the Broncos are a better team as of right now than what the New York Jets are. The New York Jets, I'm not going to put any faith in the New York Jets. This team just is completely bad all around. Doesn't matter how healthy they are or how injured they are. They're just a completely bad team. Give me the Denver Broncos to win this game. Denver is supposed to be favored to win this game by three points. I'll take Denver to cover the spread. I think they should be able to win this game by three. And I think Denver wins 24 to 17 is my final score prediction in this game. Give me Denver. The Cleveland Browns were traveling on the road to face the Dallas Cowboys. Now, let me say something about the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys, as of right now, have a 1-2 record heading into this game. But in all honesty, this team should be at least 2-1 or 3-0. But you want to know why they don't have a 3-0 or 2-1 record? Because this Cowboys team is sloppy with the football. They don't care. They don't take care of the football. They have too many mental mistakes. And that's a big reason why they're one and two. But they are favorites to win this game. They're four and a half point favorites heading into this game. And a big reason for that is because I think that the odds makers and the guys in Vegas recognize the same thing I do with the Dallas Cowboys. They recognize that the Dallas Cowboys could easily be three and no or two and one right now. 
but they don't take care of the football. If the Dallas Cowboys were to play a complete game without turning the football over, they'll most likely win that game. Now, you're facing a Browns team that is coming off a win versus the Washington football team, 34-20. And when you look at the Browns, without a doubt, this is a running football team, which isn't a surprise to anybody because we know what Kevin Stefanski has the head coach. We know what he wants to do. He wants to run the football. You have Kareem Hunt and you have Nick Chubb. You have the best backfield in the NFL. So if you're the Dallas Cowboys and you turn the football over two or three times in this game, you're going to lose. I can bet money if Dallas loses this game, it's because they turn the ball over multiple times. Because one thing about teams that like to run the football, you don't want to give them any expossessions. And you look at a Dallas Cowboys defense that hasn't been good. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence, what is he? Demarcus Lawrence is supposed to be one of the highest paid players on the defense side of the football in the NFL. He hasn't even played up to that level. The Dallas Cowboys defense hasn't been great this year. Their secondary hasn't been good. I don't even think their run defense hasn't been good. Okay? So, I mean, this is a Dallas Cowboys defense that right now is reeling. Now, I know they played Russell Wilson last week. And I know they played a really good team in Seattle. But that's still a game that I felt like Dallas let slip away from them because they just turn the football over too much. They're too sloppy. They shoot themselves in the foot. The Dallas Cowboys, instead of beating the other team, they beat themselves. Okay? And I mean, really, the Dallas Cowboys could be on three. Just as like I said earlier, the Dallas Cowboys could easily be three and no. The Dallas Cowboys could just as easily be on three if the Atlanta Falcons weren't such the choke artists that they are. So I mean, for Dallas, if they take care of the football and they don't turn the football over in this game, I think they should win. But here's the thing. I don't really think they're going to be able to do that. So Here's where the debate lies. Can the Dallas Cowboys stop the run game of the Cleveland Browns? I don't really know if they can do it. Because the Cleveland Browns, you have Kareem Hunt, you have Nick Chubb. A lot of teams haven't really had an answer for it. And you look at the Cleveland Browns defensively, they forced three terminals last week. Now, I'll give it being it was the Washington football team. They don't really have that much to work with on offense anyway. But, I mean, if you look at Cleveland... If you give them opportunities, they're most of the time, they're going to be able to take advantage of it. So if you're a Dallas and you want to win this game, you got to win the turnover margin. You cannot win this game, turn the football over two or three times. It's just not going to work. And I look at this Browns team, I still have my reservations about them as well because all they, they, although they are 2-1, we already know what the key is to being the Cleveland Browns. If you stop the run game and you force Baker Mayfield to win the game for you, you're you're going to be in a little bit of a tough predicament because Baker Mayfield is a turnover machine. That's why it's so important that the Browns are able to have so much success running the football because like Phillip Rivers, I made this in my Indianapolis Colts um, preview prediction when they were facing the Chicago Bears. If you guys haven't watched that, make sure to go check it out. Colts versus Chicago Bears preview. But I said the same thing about the Colts and Phillip Rivers. The Colts want to run the football down your throat. If you ask Phillip Rivers to throw the ball 35, 40 times, you're going to lose because he's going to turn the football over. And with Baker Mayfield being the turnover machine that he is, the Browns want to keep the ball out of his hands as many times possible. 
So if you're Dallas, you have to be able to stop the run, which I don't really know if Dallas defense is capable of being able to stop anything because week one, they weren't all that great stopping the run against the Rams. Um, week two, week three, we didn't really get to see how good their run defense was because both of those two teams that they faced were throwing the football at will against them. So, I mean, really, can the Dallas Cowboys defense tighten up? And can the Dallas Cowboys offense limit the amount of mistakes that they make? Because, I, mean, I mean, look, that Prescott has played, I think he's played up to the same level that he's played so far. I mean, we see a lot of good, but we also see a lot of games that, you know, could have been won if they had, you know, better quarterback play out of them. So, I mean, look, Dallas shoots themselves in the foot. I don't think this is a really disciplined team. They don't care, They don't take care of the football. And that's why I got to take Cleveland to win this game. And I know it may sound crazy because you may look at Cleveland, you may be like, okay, Dallas has a better team. Why are you choosing the Browns to win this game? I just don't trust the Dallas Cowboys to take care of the football. I mean, this is a really sloppy team. They don't take care of the football. And you look at the Browns, if you're facing a team that likes to run the football, what the Browns want to do is they want to run the football. They want to have Nick Chubb running in between the tackles and they want to chew time possession. And when you're the Dallas Cowboys, you give a team like Cleveland X possessions. That means you're taking time off the clock. That means if you get down early, you could be in a lot of trouble. And a lot of Dallas's problems come from not being able to take care of the football. Since they start out the game so sloppy, they always end up being down. So, I mean, look, Dallas, if they get down in the third quarter by multiple possessions, if, they're, if they go into the full quarter down two touchdowns, I think this may be game over for Dallas. Because when you face a team that has a heavy emphasis on running the football, you're in a lot of trouble. And the way that Dallas defense has played so far this season, I don't really have a lot of confidence in. So, I mean, give me Cleveland to win this game. 24-17 to 17 is my final score prediction in this game. Because, look, like I said, I'm expecting a lot of hate in this video because I know there's a lot of Cowboys fans out there that feel they do have a better team. And look, I'm not saying that the Dallas Cowboys can't win this game. Look, I just said it earlier, if Dallas plays a complete game of football without having any turnovers, they will most likely win this game. But based on what I've been seeing so far under Mike McCarthy, they're just sloppy with the football. It's just too many turnovers, and I simply can't trust them to take care of the football. And with the Cleveland Browns, as long as they're able to have the run game going and Baker Mayfield doesn't have any turnovers himself, which he shouldn't have if he's throwing the ball less than 30 times, I think this is a game that favors Cleveland. So, I mean, you look at the fact that Dallas defense hasn't played all that well, and you got the fact that the Dallas Cowboys are giving teams ex-possessions, I just think this is a game that favors the Cleveland Browns because, look, the turnovers are going to be there. Like, Dallas hasn't proven to me that they can play a complete game without having any turnovers. And a lot of the Dallas Cowboys games are really overdramatic. Like, a lot of their games come down to dramatic fashion. So, I mean, look, the Cowboys had chances to beat Seattle. They weren't able to take advantage of them because of turnovers and just sloppy play. So, I mean, look. I'm not saying Dallas can't win this game, but I'm not putting my confidence in Dallas to win this game. I'm going to take Cleveland. Cleveland, they take care of the football. They run the football. I think they play better than the Dallas Cowboys up to this point in the season. I think the Cleveland Browns walk out of this game 3-1, and one, and Dallas Cowboys drop to 1-3 and three on the season. And even if Dallas loses this game, they're still not out of the playoff pitch because their division, the NFC East, is weak. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys could be 1-3 and three and still make it to the playoffs. 
Because even though, and the majority of divisions, if you start out one and three, you might as well count your stars. You might as well just cross your fingers and hope that something magical happens. But I mean, you look at the NFC East. The NFC East may be the worst division. Well, I'm not even going to say maybe. This is the worst division in football. So even if Dallas does lose this game, they're still in a pretty good spot to make the plus with how weak this division has been so far throughout this season. So I mean, this isn't a must-win game for Dallas, although you would like to get the victory. But like I said earlier, I just just don't trust Dallas to be able to take care of the football in this game and I don't trust their defense neither their defense looks like they haven't really been able to stop anybody I mean Atlanta almost put 40 on them um last week Seattle basically was able to do whatever they wanted to do so I mean look I don't trust Dallas defense in this game I'm going to take the Browns to win give me the Browns to win 24-17 my final score prediction in this game the Jacksonville Jaguars are going on the road to face the Cincinnati Bengals and for the Jacksonville Jaguars, they were defeated by the Miami Dolphins on Thursday Night Football last week, 31-13. And the Jaguars over the last couple of weeks have really let me down, man. I mean, their performance last week against the Miami Dolphins was simply disappointing. And I mean, the defense played as bad as they possibly could. I mean, the pass defense was terrible, which we already knew that the Jacksonville Jaguars secondary was a big concern heading in because of the performance that they put up against the Tennessee Titans and Ryan Tannehill. But, I mean, I thought they would put up a little bit of a better fight against the Miami Dolphins. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, man, he looked like he couldn't be stopped. Not only was he really good at throwing the football, but he also was able to put in work on the ground, which really puzzles me because isn't Miles Jack supposed to be one of the fastest linebackers in the NFL? Like, where was he when Ryan Fitzpatrick was out there last week looking like Lamar Jackson? I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick simply could not be stopped last week. And for the Jacksonville Jaguars, man, like, this defense needs a lot of work. So, I mean, going into this game, you're facing the Cincinnati Bengals team that tied with the Philadelphia Eagles last week, 23-23, and allowed eight sacks. Joe Burrow was sacked eight times last week. So for the Jaguars, you're facing a pretty favorable matchup because you have a really good pass rusher in Josh Allen and you have rookie Caleb Von Chasen. So you should be able to get pressure on Joe Burrow. Now, here where, here's where my concern lies. Although the Jacksonville Jaguars defensive line on paper should dominate the Cincinnati Bengals on their offensive line, their secondary is a big concern because you're facing a Cincinnati Bengals team that has a really good group of wide receivers. I mean, Tyler Boyd went off last week against Philadelphia. He looked unstoppable. You still have to stop A.J. Green. You still got to stop T. Higgins. Like, the Cincinnati Bengals, aside from the offensive line, they have a lot of weapons at Joe Burrow's disposal. The question is, is Joe Burrow going to have enough time to sit back and get the ball to his playmakers? That's where the question lies. And for the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, this offensive line is terrible. This off the line has even exceeded my expectations for how bad they could possibly play this season. Like, look, I knew this Cincinnati Bengals off the line was going to be bad, but I didn't know they were going to be giving up eight sacks. I mean, Joe Burrow went last went viral last week for the wrong reason. He went viral because he got smacked by one of the defensive linemen for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals, man, like, they're playing a really dangerous game with Joe Burrow. Like, one of the biggest things one of the biggest lessons when it comes to business is protecting your investment 
And the Cincinnati Bengals, as of right now, it doesn't look like they're trying to protect their investment. Joe Burrow is basically running for his life back there. He's getting smacked around and thrown around like a rag doll. And, I mean, the Bengals off the line is just absolutely terrible. Don't even get me started on Bobby Hart. Somebody for the life of me tell me why Bobby Hart hasn't been benched yet. I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals off the line could improve drastically if they bench Bobby Hart. Like, I could go out there and do what Bobby Hart does. I mean, Bobby Hart is a big concern for this Cincinnati Bengals offensive line. I mean, I don't know if they just don't have anybody who can't replace him or anything like that, but they need to do something to protect Joe Burrow. Because if not, not only is this going to be a long afternoon for Joe Burrow because you're facing Josh Allen and a really good Jacksonville Jaguars deep to the line that should be able to get pressure on Joe Burrow in this game. But I mean, also on the defense side of the football, the Cincinnati Bengals still can't stop the run. And you're looking at Jacksonville Jaguars that with rookie James Robinson, who is second behind Joe Burrow in the rookie of the year race, he's really good. So these Cincinnati Bengals linebackers aren't really all that great against the run. And you're facing a Jacksonville Jaguars team that they want to run the football. Not only that, but this Cincinnati Bengals secondary, I still have my concerns about as well. Besides from the safety position with Jesse Bates and Von Bell, this Cincinnati Bengals defense is not that great. Now, the defensive line is really good. Um, You got Sam Hubbard. You got Carlos Dunlap. So, the defensive line is really good. But, I mean, other than that, the defensive line in the safety position, this defense is really has a lot of room for improvement. And, I mean, if the Bengals want to win this game, you have to be able to stop the running game of the Jacksonville Jaguars because James Robinson has been really good. And also... You got Garner Minshew. Now, Garner Minshew has to bounce back in this game because he didn't really play all that great against the Miami Dolphins. DJ Chark didn't play. Hopefully, DJ Chark can play in this game against the Cincinnati Bengals because they're going to need him. And for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think they have a really good chance winning this game because you look at the Bengals' offense. Although your secondary has struggled, you should be able to match the Cincinnati Bengals point for point if this game ends up going into a shootout territory. So, I mean, I think both of these teams are pretty much going to end up putting up 30 points on each other or maybe more because both of these two teams' defenses aren't really great. I mean, the Bengals, they were able to get a couple of turnovers on the Philadelphia Eagles, but, I mean, I just want to give that to Carson Wentz. I just don't think Carson Wentz has played all that great. Meanwhile, Garner Minshew, aside from his poor performance last week against the Miami Dolphins, he's played pretty well this season. So, I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Cincinnati Bengals, this is a really tough game to decide because the Cincinnati Bengals, it just looks like they just find ways to lose games. I mean, they should have won against the L.A. Chargers the week one. They lost that game. Okay, week two, they lost pretty convincingly against the Cleveland Browns. But even then, that's the game that they could have won. And then last week, week three, you lose, you tie with the Philadelphia Eagles. You might as well consider that a loss because you didn't win the game. You don't play the game to tie. You play the game to win. And the fact that this off the line has played so poorly is why I got to take Jacksonville to win this game because I simply don't think that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to give Joe Burrow enough time to throw the football because you're facing a pretty good pass rush. You got Josh Allen, who was a Pro Bowl last year. You also got rookie Caleb Von Chasen, who has been fairly impressive so far. So, I mean, I don't really think this Cincinnati Bengals defense is going to be able to stop the Jacksonville Jaguars rushing attack because of how bad these linebackers have been against the run this year. And James Robinson, like I said, has been the second best rookie in the NFL behind Joe Burrow. So I think that the Jaguars are going to win this game 
35 to 31 is my final score prediction in this game. And look, the Bengals have a chance to win this game too because the Jacksonville Jaguars defense hasn't really played all that great. But I just think this is going to be a game that comes down to whoever has the ball in their hands last. And when you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, the fact that they're able to have so much success running the football and the Bengals defense hasn't really been able to stop the run, I think that votes well in the Jacksonville Jaguars' favor. Also, you got to take into account that the Bengals, in their own right, they're pretty one-dimensional because they can't run the ball at all. Not only is the offensive line bad at pass blocking, but the offensive line also isn't all that great when it comes to run blocking as well. So I just think this is a matchup that the Jaguars should win. And I believe that Vegas has the Bengals' favor to win this game by three points. And if Vegas has the Bengals' favor to win this game by three points, I think the reason for that is because the Bengals basically have beaten themselves. Like week one, they should have beaten the Chargers. Okay, the field goal kicker missed the game, missed the game time field goal, and things like that. So I mean, I think a reason why Vegas has the Bengals' favor to win this game by three points is because of how close the Bengals have been in winning their previous three matchups. But ultimately, I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to end up defeating the Cincinnati Bengals because I just think that the Bengals are just too one-dimensional on offense. You got Josh Allen. I think he could be in for a big game. I also think Caleb Von Chase is going to have a big game as well. And you got a Bengals team that can't stop the run and a secondary that is not that great. And given Jacksonville's secondary is not that great neither, I just think this is a game that's going to come down to whoever has the ball last possession. And I just trust the Jacksonville Jaguars more than I trust Cincinnati. Now, Cincinnati has the ball to end the game. I think they can win that as well. But with the fact that the Bengals are just so one-dimensional, it's hard for me to see that. The Jacksonville Jaguars just have a better team as of right now, in my opinion, which is why I got to take the Jacksonville Jaguars to win this game. Because although their defense, their secondary hasn't played great, I still think the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be able to get key stops when it matters the most. And I don't think the Bengals are going to be able to do that. When it comes to, you know, clutch situations to win games, the Bengals just simply don't come up. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, if Gardner Minshew has the ball in his hands last, I think he's going to be able to get the job done. So this is a game that can go either way, but I'm taking Jacksonville to win. The Baltimore Ravens are traveling on the road to face the Washington football team. Now, I know a lot of you Ravens fans aren't going to want to hear about what happened Monday night, but we have to talk about it. If I had to use one word to sum up what happened to the Ravens on Monday night against Kansas City, I would have to use the word domination because that's what happened. The Baltimore Ravens just got completely dominated. And I mean, look, I was just as surprised as a lot of you Ravens fans watching what happened Monday night because me, I had Baltimore winning that game because... Kansas City, prior to that game against Baltimore, wasn't really all that great against the run. I thought that would be a game that would favor Baltimore. And then Baltimore just completely couldn't do anything. I mean, their defense couldn't stop Kansas City's offense. They couldn't get off the field on third down. Kansas City dominated in time possession, which is something that you don't really see all that often when you face the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore's offense could not really get anything going in the run game or the pass game. It was just a complete, other dominating performance by the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, for the Ravens, for them, you get a break because you get to travel on the road and face Washington. Now, Baltimore enters this game as a 13-point favorite, and deservingly so because Washington, ever since their victory against Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago, haven't really looked good. But, I mean, this offense is bad. Really bad. And, I mean, look, I knew this offense was going to have its struggles before the season began. 
But I didn't know this offense was going to be this bad. I mean, the off the line stinks. Dwayne Haskins, a lot of Washington fans, they get on me every week before last week. They keep saying, man, Dwayne Haskins is improving, man. Dwayne Haskins has showed improvement. Well, I didn't see any improvement last week. If anything, he regressed. I mean, I watched the first quarter of that game. I thought Dwayne Haskins was going to have a career day. He looked really good the first couple of possessions of that game. Well, then I come back in the third quarter, heading into the fourth quarter to see what was happening. And I mean, Dwayne Haskins just completely fell apart. Just completely fell apart. And I mean, look, I can't blame it on Dwayne Haskins. The off the line isn't great. Doesn't even have any reliable targets in the passing game besides um, Terry McLaurin. But you did have Eamon um, who broke out. He caught a couple of touchdown passes, but still, you don't really have anything to work with. And I mean, the defense didn't really play all that great neither because Cleveland had a lot of success running the football on them. I wouldn't know because the guy who I was playing had Nick Chubb as his running back in fantasy football. And I was praying that Washington's defense would be able to hold Nick Chubb to a, you know, a pretty bad day, but that didn't happen. So, I mean, Washington right now, man, I mean, you still have a chance to make it to applause. You're not making it to applause because of your record. You're making it to applause because of how bad your division is. So Washington still isn't out of the playoff mix because if they're able to win their division, which they do have a pretty good chance of because their division sucks, other than that, I mean, Washington hasn't really been all that great. And, I mean, you lost two of your best players on the defense side of football. Chase Young is going to be out for a week or two, I believe. And Matt Ioannidis, he's done for the season. But even then, you still have a pretty good defensive line. But, I mean, Washington, to win this game, I'm going to be honest, they need a lot to go right. First, Baltimore has to turn the ball over three times or more. Okay, so you need Baltimore to cough the football up a pretty good amount. You also need to be able to replicate the performance that Kansas City was able to do on Monday night, which isn't something that a lot of teams aren't going to be able to replicate because they just completely clamped down that Baltimore Ravens offense. They couldn't throw the football. They couldn't run the football. They couldn't do anything. So, I mean, can Washington replicate that performance? I don't know. But, I mean, Washington also has to be able to score some points on offense because, I mean, look, you're not going to win the football game against Baltimore by just scoring 20 points. Like, you're at least going to have to be able to put up near 30 points, which I don't even know if Washington's offense is even going to be able to put up 14 or 17 points on this Baltimore Baltimore Ravens defense. On top of that, Dwayne Haskins just has to play better, man. And, look, you Washington fans can make up all the excuses you want to about Dwayne Haskins, but, look, the time for excuses is over. Last year is over. The start of the season is over. It's time for the Wayne Haskins to show everybody why he was a first-round pick. No more time for excuses. I know he doesn't have the best team around him, but golly, man, you can't you can't turn the football over three times. I don't care how bad of a team you have. Dwayne Haskins has to play better, and it's no more excuses, man. Like, you Washington fans, I, I've, I've allowed you guys to come in the comment section and say, Dwayne Haskins, you know, he's still learning and things like that. But look, We're heading into week four of the NFL season. The time for excuses is over, okay? Dwayne has has to go out there. He has to get the job done. And I know the circumstances aren't necessarily in his favor because he doesn't have a great team around him. But besides from that, you can still play a lot better than that than last week against Cleveland. So, I mean, for Washington to win this game, man, a lot has to go right. 
a lot. They have to be able to convert on third down. They have to run the football because, listen, I don't think Washington is going to be able to scare Baltimore secondary by throwing the football at all because aside from Terry McLaurin, you don't really have any reliable options. And if you think Dante Eamon is going to be an option based on what happened last week from one game, you're sadly mistaken. One game doesn't make you a superstar. Get what I'm saying? That's like winning one fight and claim yourself as a good fighter, even though you just won one fight. So, I mean, Dante Eman, I don't even know if he's even a reliable option. Maybe he just had one game. That's what I'm believing. But, I mean, Washington, they need to be able to have success running the football, which is really hard to see because they haven't really been good running the football at all. I don't even think they've amassed 100 yards rushing as a team so far this season. I don't believe. Then Dwayne Haskins has to play out of his mind. He has to play the best game of his entire career. And that's going to be hard because you don't have any reliable wide receivers other than Terry McLaurin, which pretty much if Baltimore was smart, they would double team Terry McLaurin and try to erase him from the game. Because Terry McLaurin um, is being the most targeted wide receiver, leads Washington receptions, I believe. So, I mean, just all around, he is the only reliable option and the best player that they have offensively. So, if you're Baltimore, you got to take him away. So, I mean, Washington needs other players to step up. And Antonio Gibson, he had an okay showing last week. But, I mean, they just need a complete um, great performance if they want to win this game. So, I mean, I'm taking Baltimore to win. I don't think that should be anybody's surprise. Washington fans shouldn't be on here being upset or anything about that. Because, look, the people in Vegas have Baltimore winning this game by double digits, by two touchdowns or more. And you don't really see... And the NFL, you may see this a lot of college football, but you don't really see a lot of teams heading into games as double-digit favorites to win. You just don't really see that a lot in the NFL because games are so close. But, I mean, the people in Vegas see it. They don't think Washington's a good football team. And, I mean, I thought Washington was going to be a fairly good team this season. I wasn't expecting them to make it to the playoffs or anything like that. But with how we the division was, I felt they had a good chance to, to surprise a lot of people and make a push for the playoffs. But, I mean, so far, aside from that victory against Philadelphia, this team hasn't really been all that great. So, I mean, give me Baltimore. I think Baltimore wins this game pretty convincingly. I'll take Baltimore to win. 31 to 17 is my final score prediction in this game. And, I mean, look, if Washington wants to win this game, they got to play absolutely lights out. And I just don't think that's going to happen, man. Like, Dwayne Haskins has to play better, and that's hard because he doesn't have a good offensive line and doesn't really have a lot of playmakers. They can't run the football successfully. So, I mean, this is just a game that's going to favor Baltimore. If you're somebody who likes to bet against the spread, I'll take Baltimore to cover that 13 points because the way Washington has played offensively, I don't think that's going to – I don't really think they're going to be able to really do anything against Baltimore. And Washington's defense may keep them in this game a little bit because of how good their defensive line is, despite the fact that they lost Chase Young and Ionitis. But other than that, man, I just don't really see Washington putting up all that much of a fight in this game. I'll be really surprised if Washington is able to keep this game within 10 points. So I'll take Baltimore to cover that 13 points if you're somebody who likes to bet against the spread and bet. So I'll take Ravens. The New Orleans Saints are heading on the road to take on the Detroit Lions. Now, I think this is one of the most important games being played this week. And here's why. Both these two teams are 1-2. Whoever wins this game is going to have their record at 500. And whoever loses this game is going to be 1-3. And, and you don't want to start the season out 1-3. So, when you look at the Detroit Lions, they basically played their best game of the year so far against the Arizona Cardinals, beating them 26-23. to 
And the Lions forced three turnovers last week, and they didn't turn the football over at all. Like, the defense played fairly well, and the Lions offense played fairly well as well. Now, despite them playing fairly well, they still barely were able to walk out with the victory. Like, the game still came down to one possession. And I feel like Detroit, with the way they played last week, they should have won this game more convincingly than what they did. Like, a win is a win. I'm not going to take anything away from them. But with the way that game played out last week, Detroit only won the game by a field goal by three points. When In, in all reality, they really should have won this game by probably 10 points or more. Now you got the New Orleans Saints rolling into this game. So the Saints are rolling into this game basically going downhill. I mean, you start the season out with an early win, week one against Temple Bay. And then from down there, you lose to the Las Vegas Raiders on Monday night, and you lose to the Green Bay Packers. So the Saints are in a weird predicament so far, because this is a team that, remind you, a lot of people have the Saints penciled in as they're locked to represent the NFC in this upcoming year's Super Bowl. And so far, I haven't seen a team that looks to be a Super Bowl caliber team so far throughout this season. And it's not the offense. Like, I know a lot of people are talking about how Drew Brees hasn't really played to the level that we expect out of him and things like that. But I'm not really going to focus too much on the offense because we already know the New Orleans Saints, regardless of who plays, who doesn't play, Michael Thomas or no Michael Thomas, this is still going to be a really good offense because you have Drew Brees, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You got Sean Payne, one of the best offensive masterminds in NFL history. So I'm not really all that concerned about the offense. But where I am concerned that is on the defense side of the ball for the New Orleans Saints because this is a New Orleans Saints defense that has played pretty poorly this season so far. And you look at a Detroit Lions offense that this is the last team that you know you want to get into a shootout with because the thing with the Detroit Lions is the Lions don't have a bad team, okay? Like, if football was only a 45-minute game, the Detroit Lions will probably be 3-0 right now. But since it's not, you know the Lions have a 1-2 record because they're not able to finish games. But the New Orleans Saints, with the way their defense has played, I like the Detroit Lions' chances of winning this game. Now, am I choosing Detroit to win this game? I'm not making a prediction just as yet. I'm just saying that a lot of you guys, if you're a Saints fan, don't come into this game with the speculation that you're going to have an automatic victory and you're automatically going to be at 500. Because I think that the Detroit Lions have a better chance of winning this game than what a lot of people are giving them credit for. And my question is, when it comes to Detroit Lions, is although you played well against Arizona last week, you play it well, but Arizona was still able to hang around. Anytime you're a plus three in the turnover margin and you don't have any turnovers yourself, I think that you should win more than just three points. So with the Detroit Lions, my question is still the defense because the defense played well against Arizona, okay? But is the defense going to be able to keep up that same level of consistency this week, because look, I'm not somebody who gets easily influenced based on what you did in one week. Like, I need to see a substantial amount of consistency. Like, the Detroit Lions defense played great last week, but they need to be able to play great this week as well before I can say, hey, Detroit's defense is legit. Like, I know you shut down Arizona. Arizona has one of the best offenses in the NFL, but that was just one week. How do I know if you're going to be able to replicate that performance this week? That answer is going to be answered in this game against the New Orleans Saints. And the Detroit Lions, the big thing for them is limiting the big plays. Now, Detroit is still averaging, allowing over 11 yards 
per play. They're 29th in the NFL in yards per completion. So you look at a New Orleans Saints offense that hasn't really been all that dynamic when it comes to big plays. Like, they're still averaging, like, what, six yards per play? But, I mean, this offense just doesn't really have a lot of big pop plays down the field. Let me give you a good example. Last week, the Green Bay Packers, you saw a lot of these big chunk plays in the passing game. Aaron Rodgers to Alan Lazard, they had a couple of big strikes down the field, but you didn't really see that same explosiveness from the New Orleans Saints offensively. So with the Detroit Lions defensively, I think this is a good matchup for you because the Detroit Lions are going to be facing a team that doesn't really attack, you know, down the field all that often. And that votes well for their defense because their defense is still allowing over 11 yards per attempt when teams throw the football. So, I mean, I want to see how good Detroit's defense is going to be this week against the New Orleans Saints, a team that is really methodical this year in their offensive approach. I'll say that because the Saints don't really take a lot of shots downfield, and that's what a lot of people complain about when it comes to the New Orleans Saints offense and when it comes to Drew Brees. They don't really throw the ball down the field all that often. So if you're Detroit... Are you going to be able to take away the short, intermediate passing plays from the New Orleans Saints and you're going to force them to throw the football downfield? I don't know. I want to see what the game plan is going to be. But all in all, I'm still going to roll with the Saints to pull out the victory 27-24. to And I think the Detroit Lions have a good chance winning this game. Like, I think a lot of people aren't really giving the Detroit Lions credit they deserve. Like, I know they're a 1-2 team. Like, they could have easily been 1-3 right now or 0-3, excuse me, right now. But, I mean, the thing with the Detroit Lions is just the fact that they have a good team, and I think this is where the misconception with Detroit lies. Like, Detroit isn't as bad as what their record may indicate because Detroit, let me remind you, could easily be 2-1 right now. I mean, aside from that Green Bay game when they basically got ran out of the stadium, aside from that, this is a team that really, in all honesty, lose games because they can't really close out in the fourth quarter. So this is a Detroit Lions team that, to their credit, is a lot better than what you Saints fans may be expecting. So if you're a Saints fan, I'm not saying that you're not going to win this game. I'm just saying that, you know, keep a level head. Because me, in all honesty, I wouldn't be surprised if Detroit is able to pull off the upset and win this game against the New Orleans Saints. Because I don't think a lot of people are giving the Lions the credit they deserve. Like, this is a solid football team from a talent standpoint. They just can't close out games. So, I mean, the Detroit Lions, they're coming into this game with all the momentum right now. And the New Orleans Saints right now, they're on a two-game losing streak. So, I mean, one of these two teams, at the end of the day, they're going to end up walking out this game with a 1-3 and record, and somebody's going to end up walking out this game at 2-2. Two and two. Me, I think it's going to be New Orleans. I think New Orleans is still going to be able to pull out the victory. And like I said, I think this is a game that could go either way. Maybe I'm a little bit higher on Detroit heading into this game than a lot of other people am. But, I mean, I still think the Saints should be able to pull out this victory here. I think this Saints defense should be able to make a stand. If not, I trust that the New Orleans Saints will be able to win the game with the ball in their hands last. And that's what I think this game is going to come down to. I think this game is going to come down to whichever team gets the ball last offensively. Because, listen, I don't trust New Orleans defense to get a stop to win the game. And I most definitely don't trust the Detroit Lions defense to get a game-winning stop to win the game. I don't care how good they play against Arizona. You get what I'm saying? So, I mean, I in all honesty think this is a game that's going to be decided by who has the ball in their hands last. And me personally, I think it's going to end up being the Saints.